This is CliffCentral.com. What are the results that we should be bracing for in South Africa as the political decisions that our leaders have made impact our economy? Well, Daniel Silk is someone who could provide some answers around this. He's written in a recent column called Reopening South Africa that we need to express much more than a color-coded set of amended restrictions. Here, here. It needs to be coupled to hope for a new future, not one based on dependency and decay, but one based on innovation across the board. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, and I, I mean the leadership of South Africa, not just God in the heavens, Daniel Silk, a keynote speaker, author, and futurist specializing in South Africa, Africa, and global trends. He's also a director of Political Futures Consultancy. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, Gareth, uh, a pleasure to be with you. Looking forward to the chat. So I don't disagree with anything you've said. I would find it very hard to imagine a good argument to the contrary. But it does seem that our leaders are falling over themselves to make the wrong decisions and not make use of a good crisis to benefit the people of South Africa. Look, I think, you know, there are different ways of looking at it. I think what we've seen over the course of the last few months or so has been, uh, you know, great vacillation on the part of uh, the ANC leadership. In the one sense, uh, the lockdown itself initially had relatively broad buy-in, I think, from a cross-section of South Africans. Mm. But it's clear, and it's not just in South Africa, but it's clear that the extent of the lockdown, uh, the stringent measures that have been applied in South Africa, and the University of Oxford has just come out with an interesting study that shows that the stringency test of our lockdown is in fact one of the most severe anywhere in the world, uh, the effects of that over time begin to diminish. It's a bit like the diminishing rates of return that one has in, in economics. It's a bit like uh, what we call uh, in economics when you look at uh, uh, taxation, something called the Laffer curve. The more you tax, the less tax you are likely to get in as a result of people beginning to uh, uh, resist uh, regulation and finding ways to circumvent regulation. And the same actually is applying, I would argue, in terms of this extended lockdown. It has to be much smarter. It has to be much more, I think, a direction towards um, uh, particular areas, regions, districts, or even smaller areas for that matter. And I think uh, we've seen in the course of the last uh, few weeks or so um, a uh, the beginnings of a... Uh, a much wider debate in South Africa is whether we need to pursue the lockdown to the same degree or whether we need to be much smarter about it. Uh, the change has been, I think, quite substantial across the board within South Africa, and it's not surprising. I have to say, Eric, it applies everywhere in the world, not just yes. in South Africa. Oh, no, sure. But is there is there still a good argument for the lockdown at this point? Uh, I, I would imagine you're a smart guy. You would have observed all the different arguments against your position on this. Have you heard any decent argument from anyone who's got, you know, rational science or good ideas behind them as to why we should even continue this lockdown at this point. I thought the whole purpose for it was to flatten the curve so that we could get enough medical facilities and, and doctors and, and equipment ready for the onslaught that we were meant to have faced by now. Yeah, well, I certainly think that once you uh, get the issue relating to the health, the, the health matters, uh, once you sort that out, uh, you can begin to move to a situation where you should be able to open up the economy. Yeah. So uh, the rationale on the basis of the level four that we have at the moment, to me, has diminished and diminished quite rapidly. And we really need to move not just to level three, 
And I don't like these color-coded categorizations. I think they need much more nuanced tweaking than uh, as outlined. But I think we need to move, move much more rapidly into a level two situation. Uh, and of course, we can do that because we can apply work and safety standards and procedures to many different uh, industries within South Africa. And I think it's also the time now to give South Africans some sense of responsibility also to look after themselves in this process. So I think, as I've said, there's a diminished rate of return on this level four that we've had, which is not that different to level five, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And it's now time to begin to open up quite substantially, but, but within the parameters of looking after ourselves. And uh, it is an issue where social distancing will have to be with us for some time until we get the adequate medication, hopefully via vaccine, within the next year uh, at, at the fastest. Well, I don't hear anyone saying that we shouldn't be observing social distancing or that we should be spreading the disease like wildfire. I haven't heard any sensible person make that argument. So it seems to me it's uncontroversial at this point. The scientists all over the world and people who are experiencing this lockdown in various ways, shapes and forms all seem to be saying the same thing. If it has not served its purpose by now in terms of flattening the curve, then it has no purpose anymore. Would you say that's about the most obvious conclusion to draw from where we're at? Well, I think you have to look at industry by industry, and you do have to look at the risk profile of the different pursuits that we are all in. And you don't have to, you have to also look, obviously, at hotspot areas around the country where we have seen a great prevalence. Now, now if you, lay, if you took our, take our figures in South Africa at the moment, 60% of all of the cases really emanate from the Western Cape. If you then look at the balance of the 40% of the cases across the rest of South Africa, we've had a remarkably low incidence of COVID-19, excluding the Western Cape. And you could very well argue that as for the rest of the country, we really could move much more rapidly away from the regulations that we've had. So uh, to blanket uh, the entire country with the same level of regulations clearly has been detrimental uh, to our economy over and above what the results of the lockdown have shown. So we've actually been remarkably successful. Yeah. Uh, we probably possibly have been too successful because what we've done is that the stringent nature of our lockdown has in fact kept the cases under wraps, but it's also afforded government the opportunity to extend these regulations for well beyond, I believe, their sell-by dates. But Daniel, uh, I and mean, I think that's the position we're there, in currently. There is evidence to show that lockdown regulations have not been followed at all in some parts of South Africa, especially in informal settlements and in in parts of South Africa where really part of the reason that we are under lockdown is to protect exactly those vulnerable people. Um, we have no evidence, for example, that people in Alexandra or in Deep Sluit or in Kailicha have been following any of the regulations in lockdown whatsoever. So surely what you're talking about then is uh, a view of South Africa where the suburbs have mostly been behaving themselves. Um, there's, there's certainly no evidence to show that other parts of the country have, have been doing the same. Well, look, there's a tremendous debate about whether a country like South Africa with the density levels and high levels of poverty in formal settlements really can maintain a lockdown uh, to any great extent. And there's a great degree of controversy about that. And I think you're quite right. I mean, we have seen that the lockdown has been not only difficult to apply when it comes to township areas, 
but it's been difficult, frankly, to manage and for many of those dwellers to actually accept the notion of a lockdown as well. Uh, but having said that, you know, the choices really are limited from a governmental point of view. In the short term, yes, you go for the regulation, which we've done, which we've done. Uh, in the medium term, you just be smarter and more nuanced about how you get out of this. And I think that's the position that we are in now. And the consensus that uh, the president wished to achieve around this in the initial stages has substantially begun to diminish in the last two to three weeks or so. And on the basis of that, it's really now time to review the lockdown in its current form. And more importantly, from my perspective, it's now the time to discuss what will come after the lockdown. What kind of South Africa will there be on the other side of this? Because if, and maybe I don't want to assume you'll agree with me, but if we had a more optimistic view of what we were going to after the lockdown, I think we would be able to handle the frustrations, irritations, and even anger mm. with this particular period a lot more easily. But the, the unknown, which was there before the lockdown, which was what kind of South Africa would we have after this lockdown, yeah. that unknown remains, I mean, unfortunately. I, I read what you wrote, and you said basically that much of Cyril Ramaphosa's presidency has been run on a wing and a prayer. I think that's a good point. Uh, he did have an enormous amount of politi political capital and goodwill to spend when he acted quickly to bring a lockdown into place and said, you know, three weeks, we're going to need you to buckle down. And everybody bought in. And I think the whole nation was behind him. Um, subsequent to that, as you've already pointed out, that has been diminishing. Do you think there is any vision of what kind of South Africa might be the best one to create post this crisis? And do you think anyone is thinking about how the end game should look? I think that we don't know the end game. Uh, again, let me just say, and uh, I want to be fair here, that uh, in the United States, the end game has been uncertain. In the United Kingdom, yeah. the end game has been uncertain. And uh, through most of uh, Europe, the end game is uncertain. Yes. But in the South African context, we were already discussing the end game before COVID-19. We yes. were discussing what kind of country would we move to as we attempt to reboot this economy. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that all of those problems that we had before COVID-19 are simply there now and will be there after COVID-19, probably, as I sometimes say, on steroids, because mm -hmm. COVID-19 has exacerbated levels of poverty. It's exacerbated the unemployment position within South Africa. And it has also exacerbated the debate between just how powerful the state should be in our lives or to what degree will we be more welcoming towards the private sector, private investment into our broader economy. Those key issues were there before, but yeah. I'm afraid to say they're going to become even more hotly debated. And there is no uh, certainly evidence thus far that uh, we have, from a government point of view, gained any clarity as to what kind of future South Africa we would like to see. I mean, we need to deregulate the economy in this country. We need to provide a competitive workforce and an educated workforce to take this country forward. Yes, the immediate issue will be on the narrow nature of fighting COVID-19, but you need confidence-building measures now to, I think, usher in a, uh, a sense of confidence in the future for most South Africans. 
And frankly, it hasn't been forthcoming. Uh, we'll wait and see whether there's some indication of it coming up in the next few months as we move down the stage levels. But unless we have an exit strategy into something better, it can't be going back to what it was in South Africa. We need no. to come out to something better. Well, uh, then I, I'm afraid I, I we're going to not only tread water, we're going to move backwards. It might be fair even to assume that there is active resistance towards that opening up of the economy and, and labor and allowing people to practice business and trade in a less restrictive fashion. It's almost as if some ministers uh, seem to be taking advantage of the crisis in order to implement things that that work exactly against those propositions you've just made. And that's very worrying. I'm sure you've picked up on that too. We have seen uh, the uh, micromanagement of the uh, lockdown regulations uh, precisely send the wrong signals. I mean, if we are managing the lockdown in this particular way, uh, it's less likely that we will want to deregulate and open our economy afterwards. And I think those indications that we've seen in the last few months or so uh, what makes one worry about our ability to really come out of this in a pragmatic and modern fashion? Uh, but I mean, I, the same, the same real issue exists. And that's why I say what we're going to have after lockdown is going to be the same debate as what we had before lockdown. To what degree can our ruling political elites within South Africa, can they discern a specific role for private enterprise in this country? Or will we return to the big state, to big government? And until you resolve that kind of ideological impasse that exists within the ANC, you're really just going to, again, tread water and go backwards, as we have done in South Africa over the course of the last decade or so. And I tell you, Gareth, it's a problem, again, not just for us in South Africa. Across the world, one thing COVID-19 uh, is going to bring is a debate about the role of the state. Yeah. Many will want to see a bigger role of the state in our lives because only the state can tackle the big issues of national health care, for example, right. of providing handouts for the citizenry. This is going to be a debate not just in South Africa but elsewhere. Here we are more susceptible to this debate because it has already been a debate for the last X number of years within South Africa. Yeah. And that's why I think we stare down another period of inertia, of backtracking, unless we get, I think, a reasonable handle on integrating both the public and private sector into some sort of reboot of this country. Now, Daniel, what do you tell your clients and people who you, who you present your findings and your, and your strategies to about what's happening in the ANC and, and what this COVID crisis might do for the ANC in a best and a worst case scenario. Because clearly there are people who are trying to operate despite what's going on lockdown wise. And there are people who've been trying to operate in spite of the ANC for years in South Africa. What do you advise? Well, I think what we've seen, certainly in terms of the ANC, has been once again a divergence within the party. And we've seen different attitudes from different subsections of the ANC. So we've seen the micromanagement. We've seen the application of the security forces on the one side, the security state versus a more uh, pro-constitutional state, perhaps still epitomized by President Ramaphosa. It was rather interesting to see the president in his latest newsletter reiterate his commitment to uh, constitutionalism in South Africa and the right of all South Africans to question the decisions from government. Now, he makes that particular call almost uh, by saying, well, there may be some within the ANC that don't want that, 
but I want that. So there is still a divergence within the party, and I think that divergence has yet to play itself out in our politics. And that's why, and you know, that's why our clients and my clients simply see that there's always a tug of war within the ANC between those different factions, and that hasn't changed, and it's going to become even more acute. So I think, you know, we're looking at a more volatile period for the ANC as a result of COVID, necessary change versus ideological, the the straitjacket of ideology within the ANC is again going to become a conflict area for that party over the course of the next year, two or three. And I think it's going to play itself out quite dramatically in terms of uh, an ANC that remains very much at loggerheads with different and disparate parts of its own constituency. When we talk about business, obviously there are there are certain sectors that will perform very well by comparison with others. Nobody's going to do extremely well out of COVID, I don't think, but some of them have been hit really, really hard. And obviously small business feels like it's taking a particularly hard knock at this point because people just don't have four months of, of running cost capital in storage. You know, people, to run a business, most people are very close to the margins. And even if they've been very careful and saved and, and cut costs wherever they could, they are reaching a point where uh, now after 53 days of lockdown, it's well now impossible to keep your business going and you have to lay people off. What is going to happen to those people and what is going to happen to the economy of South Africa, in your view, uh, as a result of the, the really the carelessness of the government? Because it is not COVID that shut these businesses down. It was a decision from the government. The real danger, I think, for us is that we continue along a path that we were on, unfortunately, pre-COVID. And that is the path of our state becoming what I call a dependency state, where millions of people effectively decline in their living standards and in the end become reliant upon the largesse and the handouts of the state. And when that happens, there's a distinct danger because the state then can use that largesse Uh, that ability to provide food hampers and food parcels and social income grants, they can use that as a lever to exact political uh, rewards or political payback uh, from those who are recipients of those grants. Now, I think that's worked quite well, to be perfectly honest, for the ANC over the last number of years. This rise in dependency really almost locks people in to supporting the state very much in fear of any alternative political party who may end those handouts uh, to those recipients. And I think that's the danger here, is that we uh, fail uh, in our recovery uh, to recover not only to the pre-COVID levels, but to really recover through innovation, through good policy, through a public-private mix. And we extend, we extend the dependency state that has already been extended as a result of unemployment we've seen just in the last two months or so. Yeah, and you've and you've, and you've already very, indicated very you already indicated at the beginning of this conversation the Laffer curve and the fact that this government are frankly um, they're living on 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 debt at the moment, which means that and we have a huge public service and the government are the ones handing out left, right and centre. Usually to the poor people, it's just a paltry and quite insulting sum of three hundred and fifty uh, rand a month during COVID, which I'm not sure will feed uh, the families uh, that, that these these people who are indigent are able to um, or are required to feed. And, and even our social grants are, 
you know, that's a ridiculous amount of money for you to expect someone to live on. So while they're putting these people in thrall, they're actually also keeping them forever dependent and poor. Um, if if you're correct and, and the state needs to become the uh, savior of, of, of every poor person in the country, how are they going to afford that without having a middle class to tax? Well, the state are not going to afford it ultimately uh, unless the state prints money, which some within the ANC would probably like to do. Uh, and unless we simply go deeper and deeper into debt, um, as we've seen many other countries do around the world, and we haven't gone deeply into debt. When we compare our own debt-to-GDP figures, yes, they've gone up in recent years, and yes, they will as a result of COVID, but our debt in foreign currency terms has been relatively manageable, and you don't want to disrupt that because yeah. that affords us a sense of credibility on global markets. So the alternative, I mean, to keep South Africans' independency um, is going to cost, and it potentially then will bankrupt the country. Uh, it's, a, it's as simple as that. Uh, so clearly, you know, it's now time to consider where can the quick victories be in South Africa? How employment going forward? And I think that's the big challenge. We need to open up industries, deregulate, make it easy for people, not only to start business, but make it easier also for big business to hire and fire to a much greater extent than they have. So one has to look at the labor relations regime, have to look at tax incentives, you have to look at incentive of domestic manufacturing in South Africa so the world can open up to the outside world and to our own people in this country. And if you don't see that sort of future view, that bigger view, then it just becomes another dependency economy. And we've seen that in other parts of the world, particularly, I might add, in Venezuela, yeah. which didn't even need COVID in order to destroy their economy it was done quite successfully domestically for the last decade. And, and they, they did have oil in unlimited supply for some time, and yet they let ideology yeah. drive them into absolute poverty and, and many people into eating their pets, frankly, in order to survive. So let's hope we don't go that way. What do you see as the best case scenario? Let's end on a positive note. Let's give people something to, to aspire to post-COVID. Well, I think the positive note is to identify the sectors that can be quick wins for us or relatively quick wins. That's the positive. That's the positive note. And the positive note, and let's be fair about it, is that business does today have a better relationship with government than it has had for the last decade. And on the basis of that, one would hope business imperative is beginning to sink home within the ANC. And we've seen prior to COVID, the Minister of Finance in particular, indicate that it cannot be business as it was in South Africa. We need to shift. Uh, so I think that debate is going to rage on within the ANC, uh, and that debate, I think, is positive for the ANC. It's better that the party is put under great pressure to consider ideological shifts than when it isn't put under great pressure. And what COVID will do, it's going to put the ANC under immense pressure internally to tweak or alter or even reverse some of its most stubborn ideological precepts. And I think on that basis, I think we may well see that this is a crisis that we may not waste. But I tell you, the debate, Gareth, is going to be quite rough within South Africa. The ANC is going to be locked into multiple factionalism on this issue of how to respond. And it can go the Venezuela route. It can go perhaps a more pragmatic, centrist route. 
The hope is always there for that pragmatic centrist route, but it won't be without, I think, tremendous infighting within the ruling party in the months and perhaps even years to come. Well, I thank you for your time. It's it's really good to to check in with someone who's thinking about the future more than most of us who are who are trapped in the present. But I think um, everybody's going mm-hmm. to have to convert their thinking to be a little bit more open to uh, to outcomes and uh, and and unpredictabilities, frankly, because we're not entirely sure. None of us are. But nonetheless, it's been useful for us to to pick your brain. And I thank you for your time, Daniel. Pleasure. Good to be with you, Gary. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. This is CliffCentral.com.